Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining us today. What kind of courage does it take to be different? Not just a little bit different, not just an acceptable kind of different, but the kind of different that people can't help but notice, where they don't know how to respond. Do they ignore, make fun of, show disdain, or are they just curious? In religious terms, you might think of the Amish or some Mormon sects. You probably wouldn't have thought about my small denomination. To me, the church of my youth seemed to be so very unique, so different from the churches of most of my friends. Of course, (coughs) our church was the right one. In fact, it may very well have been the only right one. Okay, for many in our church, ours was the only right one, period. We knew that must be the case because of how different we were from other Christian churches. Those differences that set us apart pretty much proved our rightness since we wouldn't have put up with the pressures of being different if we weren't right. Believing stuff that seemed weird to other Christians means you figured they had thoughts about you that weren't normal. And your thoughts about them included thinking they may be normal, but they were wrong. So, would you rather be normal or right? If you grew up in a more typical and traditional Christian church, you may not have had some of those weird thoughts about those that were not part of your denomination. You may not have had concerns about their connection to God. You may have figured those other denominations were probably okay about the same as you were okay but they just emphasize some different beliefs more or less than your church. So, no big deal, right? Much of my early church experiences were detailed in the earliest episodes of Grace Intersect, so consider checking those out to get a better understanding of what what it was like for me. For now, just know that truth and rightness were very high values. No matter how much it seemed to differ from other Christian beliefs, our version of the differing issue was the right one, and didn't need to be questioned. Also, how positions were arrived at was almost as important as the conclusion. The way the dots of scripture and logic were connected said a lot about the person doing the connecting. Some were like a true journalist who tried to let the evidence take them wherever it would and conclude what was the truth. Others were more like the agenda journalist variety and seemed to have a desired outcome that shaped their informational journey. Often, the starting premise was faulty. But blindness of it prevailed since it wasn't even noticed by any of those participating in the discussion. The same assumptions could be naively made by all because, well, we grew up with them and we didn't even realize the assumptions even existed, let alone were faulty. One of the seriously faulty assumptions was that we should accept all of biblical scripture pretty much the same way. That is, whatever was written was probably applicable to each of us personally. Our duty was to be obedient to any specific verse or part of a verse. It's like, even though something was written 2,000 years ago or more, and to a specific audience, somehow the writer must have me in mind. What he wrote, I must claim for my own. Context, when considered at all, would have been seen in the tightest possible window. One of the major contextual discussions dealt with the role and relationship of the two big sections of the Christian Bible the Old and New Testaments. The names of the Testaments, Old and New, seems like it should be self-explanatory. One might think that the Old was replaced with the New, but in our church, one thinking that would be wrong. 
For most in the church, the old was the original, the previous, the first, while the new was the additional, the current, the latest. More or less, the new was pretty much just a continuation of the old. Today we might say version 2.0. Thinking of the old and new this way led to incredible inconsistencies, priority conflicts, contorted logic, and plain old confusion. The desire to hang on to as much as possible of the old tortured the meaning and intent of the new, to the point that sometimes rational thinking had to be set aside. To do otherwise was to risk losing trust of the fellowship and, perhaps even, one standing with God. Come to find out, for all of the differences my church had with traditional Christianity, in this particular area, most Christian churches have exactly the same issue, confusing the purpose and roles of each of the Testaments. It's like some extremely important basic understandings of Christianity are subject to significant confusion, the kind of confusion that eats at the core of our very spiritual identity. As my personal understanding of the gospel of grace increased, so did my willingness to let go of the mutual hold the church and I had on each other. This was a gradual process of many reluctant yet necessary decisions. As the expansiveness of God's love, grace, freedom, and future became increasingly understood and experienced, though never comprehended fully, so did an intimacy of relationship with Jesus. There would never be any going back. Unfortunately, finding a Christian fellowship with a clear and comprehensive presentation of God's grace isn't easy. Of the way too many churches my family visited, almost all had threads of legalistic Old Testament rules for righteousness woven into their fabric they called grace. They each got used to living their version of convoluted tension between law and grace, the Old and New Testaments. One of the biggest keys in solidifying my spiritual journey was a cleaner understanding of the actual context and relationship of the Old and New Testaments. I hope sharing this with you will help you process your own questions and loose ends of understanding. Feel free to let me know either way. It's too important to let ride. So, here's my take. The Old and New Testaments are interchangeably called the Old and New Covenants. The term covenants refers to an arrangement between God and His human creation regarding promises made to each other. These promises may or may not be conditional in nature. The term covenant isn't often used today. Perhaps the most popular use of it is in regard to weddings. This is where the wife and husband share promises with each other. It is understood that each are promising something on a standalone basis. It's not conditional. Each make their promises regardless of the performance of the other person. In a previous episode of Grace Intersect, the covenant between God and Abraham was detailed. This covenant turned out to have a very unique and prescient form. In essence, with Abraham a silent bystander, God actually made the covenant with himself on behalf of Abraham. This ensured the promises of God made about Abraham would actually happen. God is trustworthy. Abraham and his descendants, not so much. God also made a covenant with the Israelites after they left the bondage of Egypt. This was conditional. God gave Moses a list of laws, over 600 specific laws, regulations, and rituals. God promised blessings on the Israelites if they obeyed his laws and followed the rituals he gave them. Should they fail, they would experience curses as a consequence. Some have suggested that the blessings and curses were a natural response from doing good things or not doing bad things. Perhaps. What became quickly evident is that Israel couldn't do all of the good and not do any of the bad. 
Some have suggested that this is a metaphor for our human condition throughout history. Perhaps. This time before Jesus came to us in human flesh is considered the Old Covenant. It is how God chose to deal with his human creation before the time when Jesus would interact with us as one of us. That all changed with the coming of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. So the time following his resurrection is the new covenant. God is now interacting with us in a new way. His covenant with us now, his promises to us, are reminiscent of the covenant with Abraham. In the Bible, the divisions between the Old and New Testament has the New Testament beginning with the birth of Jesus. However, it's important to note that for precision and clarity, the implementation of the New Testament actually begins with the resurrection of Jesus. The term testament is relatively familiar. Essentially, it means the same thing as covenant in this biblical context. You have probably heard about those who have died leaving a last will and testament. It was the death of Jesus that initiated the New Testament. Following his death, Jesus made sure our inheritance would be fulfilled by his resurrection. The promises he left us in his will, or testament, are recorded in the biographies of Jesus written by some of his followers. Others who were personally mentored by Jesus also wrote about the message of Jesus and how we can be impacted by it. Those writings are also part of the New Testament. So, the New Testament is an account of what Jesus has left for us. It is based entirely on his promises and his ability to keep them. Therefore, it is totally necessary to see this New Testament as a complete replacement of the Old Testament. It is not just a continuation of the Old. This is an important distinction. That isn't to say there is no value in the Old Testament. We will process some of that in the future episodes of Grace Intersect. Perspective means a lot. As my wife Paula likes to say, we need to read the Old Testament through a New Testament lens. Unfortunately, the church we grew up in often read the New Testament through an Old Testament lens. The New Testament isn't an updated version of an existing Old Testament app. It's a whole new one. One that is so far advanced from the old that it won't run on our present hardware much longer. At the risk of sounding techie, which I'm not, unfortunately, we tend to want to try to find a compatibility mode that will allow us to run both the Old and New Testaments at the same time. Or to somehow switch back and forth between them. This presents an incredible amount of internal conflict. The confusion to our system limits our productivity as a spiritual person. More than being spiritually inefficient and ineffective, we are flirting with the blue screen of death. Okay, so much for the techie-type correlation. The Old Testament or Old Covenant serves a specific purpose. What might be called the wet paint or stay-off-the-lawn syndrome. Basically, it points out our ineptitude in our ability to be perfect. God is perfect. God is love. He desires a perfect love relationship with Him. But we are incapable of that. In our more arrogant moments, we may not want to believe that. Remember, the nation of Israel couldn't do it for just 600 laws. We may like to think we're pretty good, perhaps even close to perfect much of the time. But how would we know that? By our own fluctuating, arbitrary standards, we may deem our behavior as acceptable, at least most of the time. As long as the times of good outweigh the bad, we should be okay, right? If we are at least striving for a utopia, doesn't that count for something? We know we're not perfect, but nobody is, so why should that be the standard? 
This thinking resonates with many of the religions of the world since it pretty much mirrors how we interact with each other. We create our own standards and try to live up to them. By the way, what do we base them on anyway, and why? Of course, our standards are subject to change, sometimes without notice, to adapt to the nuances of life. What this sounds like to me in a word is survival. Trial and error created criteria for living is definitive only as long as we think it is working. And let's face it, some part of life is always not working. So, when we see the wet paint sign, many of us can't help but be drawn to wonder if the paint is still wet or not. We might even contemplate the possibilities that it isn't. How can we really know, unless we... Okay, that's far enough. We certainly aren't going to play out our thoughts into unacceptable behavior. But the curiosity is good, isn't it? Well, that depends on how curious. A really close examination of the painted surface would indicate that the paint is probably no longer wet. If that's the case, just the slightest breath of a touch may confirm our thoughts, perhaps even without leaving any evidence of touch. No evidence, no harm, right? Of course, the wet paint scenario is just an analogy for whatever would entice you to resist some rule. Not too many of us are goody-two-shoes enough to never be tempted to bend the rules at least a little bit. We all have found ourselves rationalizing why not follow a particular rule. Have you ever, ever gone over the speed limit even by one mile per hour? Do you make a complete stop at every stop sign? What about emergencies? Don't they justify modifying the rules? For whatever the reasons, and they are plentiful, aren't they? We are not always, if ever, perfect, even by our own standards. A perfect God has perfect standards. If he created us, he gets to call the shots. He used the Old Testament to prove to us our inability to be perfect. He gave rules and regulations to be perfectly observed, and it couldn't be done. If there was ever any doubt that we aren't perfect, nor ever can be, there shouldn't be any more. By the way, how many laws are we required to observe today? Just our local laws will be multitudes more than 600. Add in county, state, and federal laws, and there's no way we are keeping them perfectly. We don't even know what they all are. Don't you figure laws are being changed and you didn't even know the previous ones existed? And don't know the new ones either? Beyond that, we probably don't even agree on whether the laws are all perfectly good. We can be pretty hard-headed about our own goodness. We prefer to measure ourselves on a curve that we create, even if we don't all agree on what that curve should look like. What a mess. Wouldn't you agree? One of the main purposes of the Old Testament is pointing out our personal and thereby collective spiritual failings and limitations. Our failings prove we are imperfect, and our limitations prove we can't make ourselves perfect. But, thankfully, God loves us and doesn't leave us there. Another of the main purposes of the Old Testament is showing how God deeply desires a love relationship with us. He created us to have intimacy with Him. Any intimate love relationship requires the freedom of choice. That's what brings meaning and depth to relationship. As humans, we historically have repeatedly chosen poorly. We have reaped the consequences of our poor decisions. Our history is full proof of that. However, many times over, God has shown mercy by intervening to mitigate or even remove those consequences. The Old Testament reveals this time after time. 
Then finally, in a time and place of God's choosing, He provided the ultimate intervention for us. The Old Testament had served its purpose. It was time for a New Testament. The new would completely replace the old. The old would no longer have any binding force on us. Our fate and future would be entirely determined by the New Testament. The New Testament is God conclusively demonstrating His love through His grace. It is the good news that Jesus took consequences for our imperfections. We no longer bear the judgment for them. He did. His perfection qualified Him to do that for us. This would totally erase our imperfect past, present, and even future. His resurrection destroyed the final consequence, which is death, for us. This guarantees us an eternal future with Him. Jesus is all about freedom. He gives us the freedom to choose His grace, accept a love relationship with Him, and be part of His eternal family. Or, we can reject His grace and take on the consequence of our imperfections, final death. Throughout its history, the Christian Church has had a clear and strong presentation of the New Testament message of the Gospel. Unfortunately, there has always been an opposition to it from without and within the Church. Theologians and Church historians may have a better take on the reasons for this, but here's what it seems like to me. I think a lot of it boils down to control. If we don't believe in God, we think we have control of life and go from there. Or, while we may believe in a God, spiritual things are so difficult for us to understand that we create our own twist on who He is and how He operates. In either case, we are living out of our imperfect human understanding. It is faith in ourselves above all else, and we are in control. But we know we are imperfect, so... When we understand and believe the gospel in the New Testament, it includes giving up control of our life to a loving God who we can trust for eternity. It is recognizing the failings and limitations of ourselves. It is having faith in the God who created us and wants an eternal relationship with us. It is a relationship journey of growing intimacy with God. It is knowing that through His grace we can rest in the freedom of love without fear of Him, only delight in Him and bask in His delight of us. In future episodes of Grace Intersect, we will be getting into more specifics of how blending the Old and New Testaments has confused the good news God has for us. We'll reference the messages of the New Testament to bring clarity out of confusion. For now, we are invited to a reading of the last will and testament of Jesus. Obviously, it is our choice to accept or reject what's available to us. We might not believe what he has left us is really possible. We may believe it comes with strings attached. Maybe we just need to think about it for a while. It may change everything about our future, including especially things like our relationships with family, friends, co-workers, and so on. Or maybe you can hardly believe your good fortune. How could someone like you luck out and get something like this? Maybe you can't even comprehend the extent of what is included in this inheritance. Maybe, just maybe, you'll help make the world a better place because of what you have received. Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know your thoughts and or questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.